Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. What is up, podcast fam? Hope you all had an amazing weekend. Happy Monday. So pumped for this episode today. Today, my guest is co-founder of CrossNet, Chris Mead. For those of you that have never heard of CrossNet, I highly recommend you go right now, stop what you're doing, and type in crossnetgame.com. CrossNet essentially is four square with a volleyball net, four people, playing volleyball. It's a sport that they invented. It's a game that they patented, and it is incredible. The story is amazing. He and his brother and his other partner, they started this business just as buddies outside tinkering and decided to start the world's first four-square volleyball game, and this business took off. Last year, they did around $2.5 in sales, and this year, they will go on to do somewhere north of $15 million. Crazy story. Before we jump into it, take a moment to share this episode with a friend, subscribe to Bits of Gold, and tag us on your Instagram story if you find this episode valuable. Awesome. Well, Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show. Bits of Gold, so pumped to have you on today. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So just to kick off, I know I reached out to you, super pumped to have you on, but just to give you a little bit of context around really why I started the show and to really set the stage for the conversation we're about to have. I started the show Bits of Gold really to inspire people to go out there and build their dream life. To me, that means doing what you want, when you want, with the people you want. It means living a life of passion, adventure, and it really means taking control of your life and your time and spending the time how you want it. Why all that's so important to me. At age 20, I lost my dad to cancer. At age 25, lost my mom to cancer. And through that experience, I learned that each day is a gift and not a guarantee. And you know, while I'm here, I want to build my dream life. And I'm hoping through this podcast and through this episode today, we'll be able to inspire tons of people to get out there and build their dream life. And I'm really excited to share your story with uh, with our audience today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, dude. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a really fun run building CrossNet, but actually just building like my dream life has almost been better than building the company. So it's really, really cool. <laughs> I love that. So maybe just to kick off the episode... Maybe you can share a little bit about your story, your journey, wherever the beginning starts for you. Yeah. So I grew up in a small farm town in Connecticut called Woodstock. I uh, think of it less than like 7,000 people, 100 people in your high school, drive 45 minutes to go to the movie theater, closest gas stations 20 minutes away, like just building your own phone. Like you, ha- you didn't have any like big shops or stores or anything to do. So you had to always be outside in nature, having a good time with your friends, uh, which was cool growing up. It was the little things. Uh, and then... Went to school for film, uh, got a film degree, wanted to become a horror movie director my whole life. Graduated, started working for HBO, absolutely hated it. Did you like horror films growing up? Loved horror films, like still to this day, like absolutely love horror movies. What's your favorite? Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre by far. <laughs> yeah, it's a classic. 
classic. What do you like about horror movies? I just like nothing better than like a date night with your girl and you're getting like scared couple on the couch watching a movie, right? Like scary <laughs> movies have always been great for me. Um, but there's also, I guess it's the entrepreneur side of me, right? Like there's only like two or three like really famous horror movie directors and that's it. Like there's only like one or two good horror movies that come out every year. And my whole mindset was like, oh man, maybe I can make a difference and become one of those staples. But that was even back when I was like 12, thinking about that stuff. So went to film school, realized I didn't really like it. Got a job in sales for a software company. Ended up working at Uber at the headquarters in New York City, uh, launching Uber Eats in Boston and uh, Rhode Island, which is real cool. And then one night, me and my friends and my brother had an idea for a four-way volleyball net. Just sitting on the couch, thinking about it. We Googled it. Nobody had ever made it before. We're like, this is like too good to be true. We assumed we'd just Google it and somebody would be a millionaire off of it and we'd be, that'd be the end of that idea. But that wasn't the case. So the next day we went to Walmart, like we rigged up two like prototype volleyball nets, like cut out the middle. We had all our friends come over and it was just so much fun. And that was the proof of concept we needed was like, we just had these two volleyball nets rigged up, made a four-way net, combined four square and volleyball. And we're off to the races. We're like, all right, this is a real business. Let's get going. Before we jump into CrossNet, let's go back to when you went into film. How long were you doing that for? So I went to school for four years for film. Uh, so throughout that, I was like interning, working on sets every day, like in the film classes, making movies and stuff like that. And then I was a, a set production assistant on Girls, the HBO Girls show. Uh, so it was mm. a pretty big show at the time, one of the HBO's biggest shows. So I did that for all of season three, which was like a summer long, 12, 14 hour days, every single day, uh, just absolutely draining. What did you hate about it? I mean, the fact that I had to get up at three in the morning and not get home till 10 o'clock at night <laughs> and then commute on a subway for 50 minutes and then do that all over again, five days straight. What does like a production assistant do? Yeah, it was anything from moving a cone <laughs> to getting somebody food to the director telling you to do something to blocking off the traffic so people don't walk into the set. I mean, A to Z, it was just running the gamut, like making sure the elevators are working for, for the, the main actor to go up in the elevator, little stupid petty stuff. But it was 12, 14 hours a day getting yelled at. And I was doing this five days a week for an entire summer. <laughs> And, and plus you get paid. We, I was not making much back then. And I had my college debt. And it was just mm. like, all right, this is not what I dreamed it to be. It's funny how sometimes as a kid, you have this dream. And it sounds like you were like, well, on your way to at least pursuing what you thought was this long, long dream of yours. And you got there and you're like, fuck that. Absolutely. Dude. You work your whole life for something and realize you don't even want it within like 30 days. It fucking sucked. And then being in all that debt, it's like shit. So quickly realized, uh, yeah, I was living in Manhattan uh, off 12 bucks an hour, just was not going to work with a with a film degree as well, having to pay that back. So pivoted, got into uh, software sales where I was actually making really good money. But it was also just working for somebody else, like kind of just the hustle and grind, like work for a job for a year, move to the next job, get a pay raise. And then I was like, how long am I going to keep doing this for? Mm. So, So you had like the entrepreneurial bug in you. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I definitely did. I mean, even when I was a little kid, like flipping games on eBay for like video games or going to Walmart and flipping games the next day after you beat them 10 seconds later saying they're they're still brand new and they've been already beat like stuff like I don't know. We've always been hustling as kids. So you mentioned you have a brother. Yeah, got it. He's in the business, too. Yeah, yeah. So he's a co-founder of ours. He's uh, 20. He's 18 months younger than me. Was CrossNet your first like real shot at entrepreneurship or you had other businesses along no, the way? Throughout school, I had a 
film photography company. So I'd shoot weddings, I'd shoot commercials, music videos, all that good stuff. So that was kind of a entrepreneurial event. Like, I mean, I had to get clients, I had to bill clients. It was all of that, like recurring payments and stuff like that. So mm. that was my first really like entrepreneurial shot. But this is obviously way, way bigger. Yeah, whole different level. Yep. And then I saw on your LinkedIn, you also, you co-founded the King brand. Yeah, so that was a company we started back in, uh, geez, back in college. It was a, a hookah shisha company. One of my, my college roommate was uh, from Jamaica. So we had sugar cane. And if you chop sugar cane up and you bring it to those hookah bars, that's what the people smoke. So we imported sugar cane to the United States, put flavoring agents on it in my mom's kitchen. And sold them to like all the hookah lounges across like the, the East Coast. Mm. It's pretty interesting. I love it. So you just did that. That was like your that was your business in college. Yeah, that was a business in college. After college, though, you had no you had no desire to like pursue that, continue that. No, it it was going well, uh, but it was nowhere close to like paying rent, paying loans. Um, it was more just like a side hustle. We were making a couple thousand dollars gross profit, like nothing net after, like just having to reinvest. So. Had to make a living, had to pay off my loans. Uh, so I had to get into the the real world job and give up that entrepreneurial stuff, which sucks because a lot of people go into that rat and get trapped too. And luckily I found a way out. Yeah. Obviously you you jumped a little bit to, uh, you know, founding CrossNet, but take me back to like before that, obviously it sounds like you so- sort of were hopping around in terms of trying different jobs. You worked at Uber, you were in tech sales, it sounds like. Were you ever nervous like that you weren't going to escape Let's call it oh, escape, like the typical nine yeah. to five. I was petrified. I mean, on one end of the spectrum, I was working like a nine to five, but it was at like the startup New York City tech fives where you're sitting on the comfy couch. You got the dogs jumping all over. You got the, the keg on tap. So it wasn't the worst life, right? Like it was, I was making a lot of money. I was happy. I had friends as a company. But yeah, I definitely wasn't working for myself. I was selling somebody else's dream and I was just kind of going through the motions. So mm. yeah, I was definitely petrified of that. I mean, Uber was a great company. I still have the Uber discounts on my phone. Like, I absolutely love Uber was great. But uh, how excited do you really get to wake up and do cold calls all day long and mm. and build restaurant partnerships for Uber Eats? So it was kind of draining. <laughs> Got it. That makes sense. So I guess let's jump into the founding of CrossNet. So you, your brother, your buddies all start playing basically, uh, you know, four-way volleyball. How does it actually start to become a business? Yeah, uh, so... My brother Greg, myself, and my partner Mike. Uh, Mike's an engineer by trade. He had just graduated from Northeastern in Boston. So luckily for him, he just started rigging up stuff in AutoCAD. We found a, a manufacturer out in China, sent them over the blueprints, and we're like, yo, can you make this? And we're like, keep it hush-hush. Like, we don't want this getting out to other factories. But we pretty much pulled out our 401ks and all the money in our bank account. And we're like, China, we have like 10 grand for you. Like, make us as many nets as you can. And that's what they did. And they shipped them over like six months later. And we just started selling them. Four-way volleyball net. We'd go to the beach every day and go play. I mean, it's still what we're doing out in San Diego. We just have the net set up. And people are like, oh, mom, I'd love this. And they just start buying them. <laughs> you make it sound so simple. So yeah. what were some of like the hardships that you hit along the way? Because you sound like someone who's been in San Diego. I know you said you just moved there. But like, it just all sounds so simple. Yeah, it sounds so no. easy going. Not at all. Yeah. So it's been three years of just like grinding. We didn't pay ourselves for two years straight. So what I did before I left Uber was I, I put away like, and a lot of people always ask like, how much money do you need stashed away? For me, like, I'm not a fancy guy. I have a car with 300,000 miles on it. Like I have an eight figure company. I'm driving around in a shit box. But like, 
It's just <laughs> I, I stashed away what I needed for rent and my loans and for food. And then I quit. And I was like, all right, I'm going to make this money last for me. That was the biggest struggle was like I had I remember I was like having a board and we all had our doomsdays. Like, when does Chris run out of money? When does Mike run out of money? And like, what do we do to keep money alive? Because we needed to constantly invest in inventory. Otherwise, our company would just stay flat. So we'd sell the 100 cross nets. We'd buy 200 with that. We'd sell 200 cross nets. We'd buy 400 with that. Uh, and now we're, we went from the 100, we're buying 30,000 every month now. It's like, it's crazy. That's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you refer to your car as a shitbox. Yeah. <laughs> so you set up the net. You start getting sales. How do you get those initial sales? Was it all online? Was it word of mouth? Yeah. So what we do is we actually go to our hometown beach in Rhode Island. Uh, we'd go set up the net and like, nope, not most people have not seen a four-way volleyball net before. I mean, before us, nobody had ever seen it. So it was literally like, and no exaggeration, like an alien. People would just stare at it. They'd point at it. They'd take their photos, phones out and they'd start putting on Instagram. We'd start playing with our friends. People would come up to us and say, hey, like, how do I play? Can I get involved? Can I jump in? And by the end of the day, there'd be 40 people in line. So we would then either sell that one net at the beach that day and we'd make a couple dollars profit, gas money, whatever it was. Um, but what we'd actually notice is that people from that town would then go purchase and we'd get tons of orders from that town wherever we set up that day. Or we would actually play with people who were on vacation. I remember these girls from New York, uh, this town called West Islip. Uh, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right, but I remember they bought it. They took it home. They'd set up every single weekend at the beach. And every single weekend, there would be orders from their town. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, I guess the girls are out today. So as this has grown on and on, that compound interest is just constantly snowballed. So now there's 100,000 nets out in the world. Everybody that's playing is doing the same marketing job that I was doing back then. Mm. When you took out your 401k, when you started to pull out your life savings and put it in this, family, friends, what, how were they reacting? Like yourself, my, my dad died when I was 19. So it's just my mom. She trusted me. Like she, small town girl. And so she's like, all right, guys, go ahead and do it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I wasn't on my own at that time. So no, we have a very small family. It's just my mom, my brother. And so it's just the three of us. So my mom was all support. She's, hey, you guys always make it work. Go ahead, try it. And we made it work. I mean, it didn't work for the first year and a half. Like I always tell people, we're still selling the same product we were selling back in 2018. It just took three years for the world to notice. Mm. What did like at the end of year one, what did the business look like at that point? Like, were you like, we have something huge here or not yet? No, not yet. Uh, end of 2018. So we, we like LLC'd in 2017, started like the kicks, not kickstarted, just a Shopify site end of 2017. Uh, maybe got one or two sales, but 2018, uh, we did about 85 grand the entire year. So that was no, no money going back into our pockets completely just buying inventory with all that cash and staying super lean on like ads, like really running. I remember there's days where I was like, all right, let's get to a hundred visitors. Let's get to 150 visitors. What happens when we get to 200 visitors? Now that happens in 15 minutes. So that, <laughs> that that's what year one looked like. And then year two, it was just the world took notice. In one, one year's time, we went from $80,000 to two and a half million dollar company uh, in 12 months. That's crazy. How do you remain calm and I guess patient in that first year? It's difficult. The way that I look at it is like, we never took out money from anybody besides ourselves. We were, we only owed ourselves money. So we no, we had no external pressure of people hounding us for cash. Mm. Every business decision that we did at that point 
was ROI positive. We were never losing cash, which was great. All of our ads were profitable, but they weren't profitable on a grand scam, uh, grand like scale. But if we put a dollar into ads, we got a dollar five back. Like it was profitable, so we started scaling in different ways. And then every month, month over month, was growth. There was never a down month, and that's still been like a just straight up climb uh, since those days. Mm. In terms, <laughs> the story is wild. Yeah. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, it's difficult to remain patient. Like when you start, when you first start something and you don't see those immediate results. Absolutely. It's very hard to stick with it, especially when, you know, it sounds like you were in sales, you're making good money. You take a huge, let's call it a huge jump. (laughs) I was making 200 grand a year and I quit to make zero dollars for 18 months. It (laughs) was a very weird decision, but it's all working out now, right? Like I have no boss. I have complete flexibility. I can do whatever the heck I want whenever I want. Uh, it was so worth it. But for us, it was just staying patient. And I think for me personally, my brother had started another e-commerce business and I bailed on it really early on. And had I just stuck it out, I would have been making good cash. I would have been working with my friends. And I had that regret for quitting on my first e-commerce venture. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of other people out there listening uh, they started stuff, wish they would have kept going with it because they never know what's behind that door. Uh, yeah, and for us, keep... like, yeah, you got to keep grinding. Like, it's tough to really put it into practice. And nobody really knows when when enough is enough. But I just living with that regret, even for that first company that I bailed on, uh, definitely hurt. Why do you think most people, I guess, fail or, or give up for that matter? I mean, it's it's difficult. It's super tough. And to know that the attractive option of just going out and getting a real job and getting everything that you want is right around the corner if you go take the easy way out, um, that's super attractive. So there's tons of times where I was like, oh, man, maybe I'll just go get a real job and not work on CrossNet as much. Actually, I interviewed for a job while I had CrossNet. And thank God the guys uh, declined me because they said I'd be too, my mind would be too wrapped up in CrossNet. And what was they, the job? Uh, it was just like a sales job for like this uh, t-shirt company. And like, it was a it's a tech like swag company. Uh, and they're doing still super, super well. It's great to see. But like, had I taken that job, CrossNet probably would have flopped. And thank God they told me no. Mm. Was the e-commerce that your brother was doing, was that is that business still going today or not anymore? Uh, he sold, he sold out of that. Yeah, it's still going. Uh, it's like residual, but nothing, nothing to CrossNet scale. Got it. Yeah, I'm just like, Totally amazed. So at what point? So 2018, the business starts to really take off. 2018, the business is like 80, 80 grand. 2019, the year, the business takes off. Oh, that's when you do two and a half million. Yeah, last year. What was like the big driver of that? We started to get really, really high quality content. It went from me and my friends playing volleyball terribly on the net to Olympic volleyball players playing and getting that content and then dispersing it smartly and running very good ads on Facebook and all across social. And then also learning to niche down our ads. So I would say like a 55-year-old mother in Nebraska doesn't care about the limping and diving on the cross. They want to see what their 12-year-old looks like when they're off the couch and not playing TikTok for like an hour. So they, they want to see what's going to look like in their backyard. So making content based off each of our demos and then running that uh, has been why we've been really successful as of late. And 2020, what are what are you guys projecting? Probably like 15 mil. <laughs> oh, yeah. congrats. It's yeah. wild. Now you guys are starting to get into retail too? Yeah, so we've been in retail since 2019. But this year, it's just like, 
it just keeps piling on. So Shields uh, is a Midwest store. We were in with like 35 locations, uh, our first partner. Uh, now we're in nationwide with Academy Sports, which is like 284 locations. Dick Sporting Goods. Uh, I think we're in almost every location, give or take. Uh, there might be a few that we're not in yet, but across the whole country, we're in about 1,700 stores. How big is uh, your team? It's three founders, uh, like 20 virtual assistants, and then we have like five full-time employees. And the whole team's virtual? Yeah, we're all virtual. I mean, we're all just kicking it in San Diego, but uh, yeah, we all live in different parts of the world. For like an entrepreneur or someone that is tinkering with an idea, what would be like uh, your advice to them? Well, one, you just got to get started because if you sit here all day and start dreaming and concepting, like I have friends who got this one friend who was starting a a women's fashion line because he thought he knows women's fashion. Uh, he's been working on it for seven years. So, Ali, if you're out there listening, just start the company. Like, it's been seven <laughs> years. Start the company. So, just get started. You never know what's going to happen. There's never going to be a perfect time. There'll never be a perfect time for anything. You just got to get this. The only way you gain business experience is by doing. Uh, and then, secondly, whether it's like you getting investments from your friends or borrowing money from a bank, like, you got to treat every dollar like it's a dollar coming out of your personal bank account. Mm. the three of us are just like super frugal like to no avail like if if i'm spending a dollar i better get the dollar back and if i don't get the dollar back i'm never doing that again and that's how we treat everything and then we find these little things levers just keep flicking on and now the whole thing is just scaling like crazy because everything's working i'm curious i guess is the biggest driver still like facebook ads and instagram ads yeah well actually so since covid's happened our supply chain's kind of got out of whack so we stopped running we cut our ad spend almost like 100%, big time. So I've been really working on getting organic growth up from doing podcasts, Google, blogs, all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so organic is right now 49% of our traffic, which is beautiful. So that used to be like 5% of our traffic. So we're at 50% organic. Like I'm pretty happy with that. I'm not paying for half the customers coming to my site. Mm. In terms of like digital, it sounds like that's where you guys really have a ton of expertise. Would you say? Yeah, definitely digital. If at some point you wanted to start another business, like, do you think you would have similar success with the skill set you have now? Yeah, I feel we've learned so much about like supply chain, importing, payment processors, this is all just little stuff. Like, I feel like we just flip on a few different levers. We've actually talked about starting other e-commerce businesses. My brother Greg and I actually have started one. And we both just bailed out of it about three weeks ago, because this thing just takes up too much time. Can you share the business? Yeah, it was, uh, I don't even know if it's still up. Let's see if the website's up. They might have shut, the other guy shut it down. It's called, oh yeah, they took it down. Uh, Canvasly. It was a uh, a camp, a custom canvas for kids. So you could put like your child's face on like a George Washington portrait. Uh, it was pretty, it was cool. We were running it all over Twitter. Uh, we were making a couple hundred bucks a day, but at scale versus our eight figure company, it just made more sense to work on CrossNet. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Do you think with CrossNet, um, like what do you see... Take me to like 2025. What do you see for the company? Um, so right now we're working on international expansion because uh, volleyball is just as big. Well, volleyball is bigger in a lot of other countries besides the United States. So we're expanding to Australia. We're expanding to Canada, the United Kingdom. Uh, so my goal by 2025 will to be have warehouses in all these major countries, um, international distribution in all these different countries. And then also... Right now, CrossNet's played in over 5,000 schools in the United States. So mm-hmm. kids are learning how to play volleyball on the CrossNet. So I want kids to learn on CrossNet everywhere. I want it to be like, 
not what is this four-way volleyball net. It's like, okay, they got the cross net out and we're learning how to like, we're learning volleyball skills on it today. Do you have aspirations for cross net to become like a, like a leaked sport? Yeah, without a doubt. We just rolled out the doubles net actually. So it makes it two times as long and it makes a team rather than solo. So normally it's just one player in each square. The doubles net makes it two players in each square. And then you're playing to 11, win by two, and there's this team smashing it back and forth. It's really fun. I feel like when I look at the videos of, of you know, what the product is and what the sport is, like I could totally see this one day being on ESPN. Oh, without a doubt. I'm going to be really mad if it's not on ESPN like by the end of the year. But yeah, we're, <laughs> we need it on ESPN very shortly. In terms of um, personal practices outside of building the business, do you do any sort of visualization, goal setting, anything to that extent or not really? We used to do that. I, mean, I remember us like really like, oh, this is our budget. This is our quarterly goals. And now it's like, we can't even keep up. The best thing for me is like when I put my cell phone in my bedroom downstairs, and I lock it away and I'm not on my computer and I actually get to think and I'm not like flooded by emails. I see it all the time. But that That's when the most product, like that's when I'm really thinking clear about the business and not in the business. And I'll be like, oh shit, why didn't I do this like six months ago? Mm. In terms of how like you spend your own time, a lot of people have questions around like eight figure business. What's like your day to day look like? My day to day, fortunately, I've, the best thing I've done for myself and our company is if there's something I'm spending two, three hours a day on for like a several months, I'll outsource it. It's tough to outsource stuff that you think that can't be outsourced, but almost everything can be outsourced if you teach the person and train them properly, and you you have somebody with enough skill set. So for me, like a day for me looks like. I wake up, I go for a run, I go to the gym. I probably start working every day about 11 o'clock. I'll work from 11 to like 4, 11 to 4.30. Go swim, do whatever I need. Go hang out with my family, my friends, my girlfriend. And go have dinner. And then I'll probably jump back online for maybe an hour or two to catch up on things. But I probably work six hours a day. Give or you take. know, it's, it's funny because yeah. I mentioned this to you before we got started. I'm currently living with both my sisters, significant other, and then their significant others. And we're all working Everyone sort of has a unique work situation. Some people, I have my own business. I have the podcast. Everyone else is like a, a normal, like what's called nine to five job. But some of them are working yeah. so many hours and they're like locked away in a room. And, uh, you know, you're sitting here running a figure business telling me you're working 11, 11 to six. Obviously, you put in the time you grind it at the beginning to make it happen. But yeah, I find so many people are spending time just like sitting in front of a computer. But I'm always questioning, are they actually getting any work done? Dude, it's the same thing. Like, I remember my girlfriend just had a nine to five and I'm like, dude, you, she's like, I only work four hours a day. The other four is like making it look <laughs> like I work. It's like, it's crazy. So yeah, we, I mean, back in the day, how I was working 12, 14 hour days and there's still time. Like there's never going to be, if I wanted, I could sit on my computer and work for 72 hours straight yeah. and get stuff done. But I don't feel the need to do that anymore. Our team's big enough and growing fast enough where I have stuff outsourced. I have people be able to do stuff for me, um, which is great. I've, you got to put people in the place to succeed. And for us, the biggest thing is hiring for our weaknesses. So like if I suck at something, if something's taking a lot of my time, let's just outsource it and get it done, the job done the right way rather than me spending four hours trying to mm. do it the bad way. What would you say have been like the most helpful resources for you along the way? So as somebody who has invented a product, um, finding other business owners who have either invented a product or has successfully launched a product into retail is super tough. Um, there's not many people that I have been able to meet, but listening to podcasts has actually been really Which huge podcast? for me. Uh, one that I love is the Privy podcast uh, is really good. Uh, the Shopify Masters podcast is a really good one. 
and uh, how I built this uh, yeah, by Guy Raz is my all-time favorite podcast. Uh, it just it really puts things into perspective. Like most of these people start, everybody is just a normal ass dude. Like everyone starts from the same spot. Like their parents died, they don't have a lot of money. Maybe they did have a lot of money, but at the end of the day, they're all on the computer building something, and it's just crazy how far you could take it if you just have enough drive. Absolutely, the Guy Raz podcast is great. It's really crazy to hear some stories because you realize like those people are no different than you and me. Dude, exactly. It, it's really crazy because you put these people on a pedestal and then you hear their stories, just how they grew up, like the Ben and Jerry's dudes. They, I was listening to that one the other day, just like grinding in a dirty ice cream <laughs> shop for years. And now they're, they're, they're Ben and Jerry's. Like, like, why do you think a lot of people choose to like, let's, let's call it, and I'm not, I never say that like everyone should be an entrepreneur because I personally don't believe like everyone should be building a business, but I do think people should at least be pursuing the things that make them come alive, the things they enjoy, the things that energize them. So why do you think a lot of people like, I'm sure you know a lot of people who are going to jobs that make them completely miserable. Yeah. One, it's, it's tough to have a really good idea. Uh, it's not just, they can't snap your fingers and have a good idea. I mean, a lot of people have agencies these days that are profitable. I could definitely build an e-commerce agency if I wanted to and teach people how to do Shopify for a living. But most people don't want that grind and that startup time. And it's paired with the debt or the, the wants that they want. Like, I could go get a Range Rover tomorrow if I wanted, but I'd have a $600 monthly payment. Like, is that what I want or is mm. that what I need? Uh, and a lot of people can't separate their wants from needs these days, which is really yeah, unfortunate. Yeah, on an earlier podcast, I had someone else talk a great deal about really defining what your wants are and what your needs are and building a life mm -hmm. around your needs and the wants can come later. But as long as your baseline needs are being met, you know, life's good. Absolutely. I recognize I live in a city. I don't need a car. So why am I going to yeah. have a car payment? Like I walk everywhere. I take an Uber. It sounds like, you know, you live like well below your means or you're very smart about how you handle your finances. So a lot of people who listen to this are going to be like, you're running a figure business. Like when you hit certain milestones, was there any sort of toy or something that you went out and bought where you're like, this is just something I got to do? No. Uh, um, so we just got this beach house. I won't lie. This beach house is pretty sick. Um, I've wanted a beach house my entire life. Uh, so we moved the whole business out to San Diego. We now have a company headquarters on Mission Beach. I wake up and I look at the ocean every day. And yeah, this is this is an absolute luxury. But yeah, it comes out of the business. Uh, we haven't taken any crazy like dividends or anything like that. Uh, we're just ramping up for all the retailers that want our product. And when you start getting to this level, it's like people paying you in 90 days, people paying you in 120 days. You always just have cash is king. So you need that mm. cash for inventory. I love that. I think your story is very inspiring, obviously, just because of the business that you've been able to build. But it's humbling to hear someone, you know, have incredible success. But also, it sounds like you're living a humble lifestyle. I appreciate it. I try. <laughs> so do you have someone who's been like the most influential person in your life? A lot of people that I know who are entrepreneurial have a mentor, have someone who's like helped them get to where they are. Do you have someone who's been like the most influential person in your life? I would say no, to be honest. But I, my first boss in college, uh, these dudes to call named Nate Hirsch and Connor Gilliban. They invented a company called FreeUp, which is a freelance marketplace. Super successful dudes. They just sold the business, actually. Uh, so they were my boss at Quinnipiac, but they're running an Amazon business. And their whole mentality is like, take stuff off your plate, delegate, outsource, get somebody, hire for your weaknesses. Uh, so I've definitely taken after them. So yeah, the, I would say those two dudes are really influential. I think they, their message carries weight mm. to any industry. Are you open to talking about your dad at all? 
Yeah, I don't care. So I know you mentioned that your dad passed away. I guess, you know, on this show, I've had a lot of people who have lived through significant loss. I'm curious to hear a little bit about your story with your dad. Yeah, he was a uh, alcoholic, a uh, really bad alcoholic. So I was 19 away at college. I came home for winter break and uh, he was upstairs. I was downstairs. I hear a thud on the, the his bedroom floor, go upstairs and he uh, just had a heart oh, attack. Man. And yeah, I lived in a uh, super small farm town. It took like a half an hour for the ambulance to get out there. And uh, yeah, wow. dead on arrival. I'm sorry to yeah. hear about that. Yeah, man. So, shit happens, but it makes you stronger. Uh, work every day to make my family happy and my mom proud. I love so. that. If you're open to talking a little bit about like your grief journey, you know, I've had a lot of people come on the show who, as I mentioned, have lived through significant loss. I lost both my parents. Yep. I guess when your dad passed, like, I'm sure the world changed for you, but like, what specifically changed in your life? Well, he had been an alcoholic for a long time. So I was kind of like, used to the highs and lows mm. of all of that but for me it was more just the mindset of not having that person be at those big moments like I love talking to my mom about the business like she's so proud like I can't imagine like talking to my dad and having those conversations with him so I miss that like I'm gonna get married one day right I'm gonna have kids one day and knowing that like he's not gonna be there I'm not gonna have grandparents like it sucks but it makes you work harder uh and it makes you like really appreciate your like my mom's everything to me so like it makes me really like treasure her two times. I'm curious if you resonate with this at all. I had someone on the show a couple episodes back and we spoke a lot about post-traumatic growth. So growing as a result of living through something so tragic, is that something you resonate with? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, how I try every day to like just make the best life for my mom. Like my mom's always wanted a beach house too. Like now she's out here with me, like she's went grocery shopping, but she's got a <laughs> beach house now. Like she, she, we literally like grew up like worrying how to pay rent and now she's chilling in san diego so yeah we've worked our ass off for years to make this happen and i'm really lucky so she's out of she's out of connecticut yeah so well she moved uh so we were all in connecticut together and when we moved to miami to start the business uh we took her along and we uh kind of gave oh, her a place to live incredible i always had the dream of um yeah. getting my mom a house one day and um so i'm sure yeah. like i can resonate with you on that i'm sure that's like such an incredible rewarding feeling. That's really cool. You know, given given your life, like the life journey that you've been on so far, I'm just curious to get your perspective. What do you feel the purpose of life is? Obviously, it sounds like you've been on a crazy ride. You've lived through a lot. Yeah. I know that's a pretty open-ended question, but I'm just curious to get your take. Yeah, I mean, purpose of like, I'm not, I'm far from a religious dude, but like, I just think you got to live every day. Like you got to treat it like your last, especially after you dealing with what you've dealt with and myself, like time's precious. Every day is precious. Like you got to like firmly like kiss your girlfriend. Good night. Make sure they love, like you tell your mom, you love you like more than you need to. So living every day to your full is just like super important to me. Like, whether it's just like today I'm pumped. As soon as we get off this, I'm jumping in the ocean and I'm going for a run. And like, then I'm going hiking later. Like every day I try to treat like the best day ever. And uh, as long as you have enough money to like make it work, like live within your means and like every mm, day can be I good. love that so much. So, um, you know, I guess we could start to to wrap up the show. Appreciate you sharing a little bit about, you know, your grief there. Um, I know that's that's a hard thing to talk about. My podcast is all about facing adversity, building your dream life. With that being said, what would be like your bits of gold that, on how to build a life you love? Like as we've been saying, like really break down exactly what you need to live and then figure out what lifestyle you want to live, like build and what kind of career you need to to do that. So if it's like, I have rent, I have my loans, I have my food expense. 
how much work do I need to do to hit those numbers? Because I see people, I have some friends work 80 hours a week and they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they haven't even got to go out to a dinner date with their girlfriend in six months because they're just working all the time. Like, what's the point of all that money uh, if you're never going to get to use it and like have a good life? Like, the only thing I hear is like, I'm so miserable. So like, you gotta, you gotta weigh the pros and cons and what's really important I love that. To you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I was talking with someone yesterday and we were talking about wealth and the way someone defined it, I personally think this is a shit way to define it, but they were like, you know, to me, wealth is having enough money that I'll never have to work again. And like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to that position. And I told them, you know, I think if you're only looking at wealth in terms of financial wealth, you've missed the mark on in terms of what wealth really is. How are you in terms of your wealth with your family, in terms of your relationship with your significant other, with your body, with your spirit, with your health? Are you wealthy in all those areas? So I think you really hit the nail on the head there. Where can people connect with you, find more information on your brand, get in touch, et cetera? You hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm very active on there, probably too active on there. Uh, Chris Mead on LinkedIn, crossnetgame.com. And then you got an email, want to talk to me, chris, C-H-R-S, at crossnetgame.com. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for the time. This was great. I'm sure it will inspire many. Appreciate you coming on today. Love it. Appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Bits of Gold. I hope you enjoyed that episode with the one and only Chris Mead. If you have not yet, for sure, check out crossnetgame.com, crossnetgame.com. And please, if you like that episode, subscribe to Bits of Gold, share this episode with a friend. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.